Hey everyone, welcome to our next installment of our Mark series. And last week, we covered four parables that Mark records for us back to back, all about how Jesus was teaching us about receiving and responding to the revelation of the kingdom. Well, this week, we're also going to be covering another set of four, and these are four mighty deeds that Mark records Jesus doing back to back as well. And so what I believe is that we're supposed to be seeing these four parables as well as these four mighty deeds in one big block. And therefore, we've got four uh, mighty deeds that Jesus does uh, to cover for this session, there is quite a lot of text, and uh, I'm trying to. Go, I'm going to have to gloss over certain uh, elements of these mighty acts. Um, I would suggest do your own Bible study, read these passages for yourself. Uh, you know, journal, get something more than what I'm teaching out of it. I'm just going to try to give you more of the the background understanding or the the elements that might be a little bit more obscure to us today, uh, so that you can have this rich understanding of this set of four mighty deeds. And so let's just jump straight into it. Mark chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 35. Um, and this is about Jesus coming the storm. Very famous mighty act that Jesus does. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So after Jesus was teaching, uh, he told his disciples, we're going to go to the other side. Now the passage says that there were other boats with them, but by saying that let us go and removing himself, what we can seem to uh, take from this is that this storm was a private storm, if you will. It was a storm for the disciples. It, the storm and, and everything was happening here was kind of a object lesson, if you will. Jesus had been recorded teaching about the kingdom, teaching about Him coming, the mystery of God revealed in the person of Jesus. And now they have Jesus in the boat, they go on this lake and a storm appears. Isn't it interesting that when we try to follow Jesus closely, we've got to get rid of the understanding that following Jesus means that everything is going to turn out nicely. Now, I believe that everything is going to turn out good but it doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth. It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out the way that you expect it to be. Remember, revelation from the kingdom is the mystery of God revealed, but it's often not what we are expecting. And so the disciples get into 
uh, I get into uh, they get into this storm and Jesus is sleeping and and the storm is scaring them and remember these are some of these are, are trained experienced fishermen they understand this lake if they are scared there is a reason for you to be afraid in this storm and so this is interesting because it's the first time in Mark that we find the disciples addressing Jesus as teacher 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 they come to him aren't you aren't you going to do anything about this is as though they understood at some level that even this storm could be a learning experience it could be a revelation from God every experience in our lives can be a teaching experience I understand that many people have found uh, this this season with the uh, coronavirus pandemic to be an extremely uncomfortable extremely unsettling experience maybe right now you're listening to this message and you are finding yourself in the middle of a storm it is struggle town for you you don't know how you're gonna get through this you don't know what life is gonna be like on the other side well can I just put forward to you just like this storm was for the disciples this can be a learning experience for you as well Jesus uses whatever season we are in to, to, to bring revelation into our lives. And so Jesus calms the storm and teaches his disciples that he isn't just like any other earthly teacher. He has the authority to order, to command creation. In other words, he is above creation. This is him revealing himself as above creation, which means he is the creator. The disciples would therefore have been getting a sense. Not only does this guy teach amazingly, not only does he have authority when he teaches, he commands the elements. He commands creation. This is Yahweh in the flesh. And this is a revelation that, that they need to contemplate. In fact, just like the parables, it puts forward a question to them. How are you going to respond to this revelation? It leaves them necessarily making a choice to commit or to back off. This is a testing moment, if you will, because the revelation has been brought to them. Jesus is God. Are they going to commit or are they going to run away? Jesus had already pointed this out and he asks them why they are afraid and without faith. Afraid and without faith. Jesus asked them that because this was the revelation that he was bringing to them. I am God. I am above all of creation. And yet their response was fear and a lack of faith. It, 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 he was showing to them that their response was not the full response that they were meant to be having should they have truly received a revelation of who he is. They had no need to fear. In fact, this was a great opportunity for them to exercise trust and faith in this rabbi that wasn't just any normal earthly rabbi. And the disciples also responded in terror. And I wonder if we've lost the awe and wonder of how powerful our God is. 
We often speak of the grace of God, the love of God, what God would go through in order to bring us into relationship with Him. And those are extremely central aspects of who God is. But we also need to remember, He is Creator. He is above circumstance. He is sovereign. And and maybe in the storms, that's when we start to realize, wow, God, you are sovereign. I remember many occasions in my life where I'm going through a difficult circumstance circumstance I don't see a way out and those moments are such important teaching moments for me to realize to see and to respond to God as sovereign and terror therefore is probably the right response we are being brought into the creator's presence where we worship with every breath that we take we are in the creator's presence that should be something that we think about in our day-to-day life. Anyway, we go from the private lesson in the storm to the next mighty deep. And now we are Mark chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look first at the first 20 verses. I'm going to read this pretty quickly. If you need to go into the Bible yourself, go for it. They went across the lake into the, G- uh, the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw a man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So now, Jesus travels across the lake, and he's now in the Hellenized region of the Decapolis. This basically means that this is not Israeli territory, this is Greek territory. However, some scholars believe that this account takes place 
these people that we see in this particular region possibly and probably were Jews. And the reason for this is that the gospel writers often take great pains to let us know when Jesus is interacting with a Gentile or even a Samaritan, their ethnicity is made known because ethnicity in those days were really important. Yet because nothing was said about these people except for the region that they, uh, uh, they were inhabiting, some scholars do believe that it was referencing um, that these were Jewish people. That's not living in Israel anymore. They were living across the lake. And, um, and, and, and that's really important as we go along. And so what we have here is potentially a Jewish man who is tormented greatly by a legion of impure spirits. It drives him to live in a cemetery. Uh, and, And he's living in this place of death. I don't know how often it occurs just in this few chapters that we've been reading, but so many of Jesus' interactions is about bringing life and death. There's this contrast between life and death. Without Jesus, without the healing that Jesus brings to him, this man was living in a cemetery. He was unbound. He was unshackled. But you know, sometimes in today's day and age, we think it's a positive thing not to be bound up or restricted. But in this man's case, we can clearly see that left to his own devices, he was hurting and harming himself. He was cutting himself. He needed those restrictions to stop himself from getting into a greater danger. Yet he broke off all restraint. Breaking off all restraint is not necessarily a good thing, nor is it God's plan for you. This is an important thing for you to consider. This is a man tormented, possessed, as the Bible describes, by this legion of demonic spirits living in a place of death and this man he sees Jesus and he runs to him immediately saying Jesus son of the most high God I know it's a little bit strange that these demons would would be shouting out Jesus's name and title and the reason for this is that in ancient times uh, in the spiritual realm in particular it was believed that if you could uh, speak out a person's name it was you exerting authority exerting control over uh, whoever you're speaking to. This could have been the, uh, the demonic spirit's attempt to gain some control of the situation. Jesus has come in, uh, things were gonna happen, they knew it, they knew Jesus had authority, and so they were trying to reach for something so that they could have some semblance of control. Isn't that what we often do? We always want control. And, and so what do they do? They do the one thing that they know to do, which is speak out Jesus' name and his title, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. And the moment those words leave their lips, It is also an indictment because they know that Jesus' name is above every other name. Being able to say his name would not be able to give them the control that they were looking for. Jesus had full control of this situation. Such an interesting little exchange taking uh, place here. When we sing songs like Jesus, the name above every other name, 
What a beautiful name. What a powerful name. We have to understand that it is with this kind of a mindset. Jesus' name, which he places with us. He said, pray in his name. It's the name above other names. It gives us this authority. It gives us this control in this spiritual realm. Not for us to misuse Jesus' name. But what I'm trying to highlight here is that Jesus, his name is above all. It is a powerful, powerful name. Nothing can control God. So Jesus casts the demon out and the demon asked to go to a nearby herd of pigs. Now, remember that these were possibly Jewish people and raising pigs is extremely unkosher. They were not supposed to do that. According to Judaism, according to the Lord, they were not supposed to be near pigs, really. So what were they doing? Now, so what scholars have now have established is that Pigs were often used in animal sacrifice in the pagan uh, religions. And the reason why pigs were common as um, as sacrificial animals is because their anatomy is actually very similar to that of human beings. A lot of these pagan gods required human-type sacrifices. So as a substitute for humans, they chose to use pigs. And so what we are seeing here is that the legion choosing to go into the pigs could be a picture of what happens to humanity when we allow impurity to take a hold of us, when we give ourselves to idolatry. Remember, even for this man that we encountered in this region, he was living in the cemetery, he was living in death. This is what these impure spirits had led him to do. Well, you know, we have to remember, and I have said this in this series before, but we become what we worship. And when we worship idolatry, when, when we choose to worship anything other than God, we are opening ourselves up to impure spirits. And what impure spirits do to us is bring us death. Remember, this man was out of his mind. He had no control. He he had no restrictions, no boundaries, and he was not in a good place. Jesus comes, uh, chases the legion out, casts them out of him, and now he is in his right mind. Jesus brings life a fresh start. And yet, at the same time, the people around, when they heard of what happened, they come and they try to chase Jesus out. It's hard to accept Jesus when he has just ravaged your livelihood. (laughs) It's true. And that's the thing about Jesus. When we said this, he divides. He doesn't come in and make things nice and easy for us. He doesn't just simply become an add-on to your life. He gets rid of your past. He gets rid of what used to be in order to establish the new that he is bringing with the kingdom. Remember the parables we spoke about last week, the parable of the seed and the different soils. The only way, the only way to bear fruit is to wholly accept the revelation. If you've got rocky soil, if you've got other priorities, you've got other things in the world that, that are occupying you, you will never bear fruit. You will never have the life that God intends for you to have. 
And so we have in this moment the region trying to chase Jesus out. But this man who has had an encounter with the Most High, who has had an encounter with life, he comes to Jesus and says, let me follow you. Once again, we get the picture of the crowd versus the disciple. The disciple has a personal encounter with Jesus. The crowds are only seeing the effects. They don't really get to experience and know all that Jesus is doing and so my question for you is that are you crowd or are you disciple are you staying at a safe distance or are you going all out going all in knowing that jesus is the one who truly brings life and so jesus issues a, a mission to this man and then he continues back to the other side of the lake let's read um, the final set of two mighty deeds that he does they are put together in verses 21 uh, to 43 again a big chunk of scripture i'm going to read pretty quickly here when jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus he fell at his feet he pleaded earnestly with him my little daughter is dying please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live so Jesus went with him a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone up from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered, yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. Very much like what happened at the storm. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha whom, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. These two, uh, this, these two accounts and miracles are paired up, as I have mentioned, and, and with the account of G, uh, Jairus's, Jairus's daughter uh, broken up with this other issue uh, with this woman that suffered from bleeding. They're meant to be read together. Uh, there's a parable, uh, parallel in both accounts that reveals to us something about Jesus. And so in this uh, block, we, we, we encounter Jairus, a synagogue leader. This is the first person outside Jesus' circle uh, that is actually named 
and his name has great significance. It means may Yahweh, or God, awaken or enlighten. What a powerful name and what a powerful picture of what Jairus was actually asking for. That Jesus would come in and bring an awakening and enlightening to the people there. He asked for Jesus to bring healing to his little daughter. And in those days, 60% of children would die. It was a high mortality rate for kids. This was a serious issue that Jairus was having to deal with. She wasn't just sick. He knew that she was at death's door. And so Jesus makes his way, but encounters an unnamed woman who was suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Now, here's an interesting detail. Jairus' daughter was also 12. This lady suffered 12 years of bleeding. The number 12 in the Bible is great significance. It symbolizes God's people. Remember, the 12 tribes of Israel, God's chosen people. And uh, uh, Jesus also chose 12 disciples. And so we have this daughter who is 12 years old. And we also have this woman who's been suffering for 12 years. All of this, I believe, is to paint this picture of the death that had crept in into the people, into the people's lives. There was this illness. There was this great suffering that was taking place. You see, uh, uh, God had said in the Old Testament, in, in, in the Mosaic law, that blood contains life. So by this woman's bleeding, she's bleeding out life. And this little girl, this 12-year-old girl was at death's door. It's a picture of God's people and how there isn't life there. And this is why Jairus' name is so important because we need God to awaken, to, to enlighten, to bring life. And that's what Jesus absolutely does to both of those women. Now, Mark records that this woman had suffered under the hands of the doctors and his language indicates that she might have been mistreated. Her bleeding also makes her unclean. In a Mosaic law, this, this bleeding would mean that she's not allowed to enter into the, into the temple. She's not allowed into God's presence. She's not allowed close to people either because her impurity would then make other people unclean. And so she makes a desperately bold attempt to find life. She reaches through the crowd knowing that if anyone caught her, she was going to be severely punished for making other people unclean. And she goes to Jesus, touches his clothes, and immediately finds healing. Jesus then asks, who touched me? And, then, and we know there was a crowd pressing in. This is such a beautiful picture to me of how we can be in God's presence. We can be together worshipping God, but yet a whole crowd of people do not experience a miracle. Only one person does. There is a deliberateness in her touch. There's a deliberateness in her being in Jesus' presence. When we do things like Sunday night life, when we get back to gathering on Sunday mornings or, or whenever we gather together, maybe even in your lift group, are you deliberately seeking after God's presence? Because it's that deliberate desperateness that unlocks the miracle, the power for miracles within the person of Jesus. Yet only one person out of the crowd that touched him received that miracle. Uh, can I just ask that in this next season, as we uh, move into this next season as a church, that we develop this deliberate desperateness when it comes to God's presence? Because I want to see miracles start to happen in the lives of our people. 
And just, so Jesus draws this woman out. He's like, who touched me? And he purposely seeks her out. And she tells the whole story. She says, I've been, I've been suffering for 12 years from this bleeding. She leaves no detail out. She tells it all to him. And Jesus simply just says, your faith has made you well. How beautiful. Your faith has healed you. This beautiful faith. But I, I think why it's really important as well is that when Jesus was calling her out, he was not just wanting her to have a restored physical being, but also a restored soul. Remember that this bleeding would have left her isolated for 12 years. But in one moment, Jesus showed that God is willing to step into our suffering, our isolation, our loneliness, and to draw us back to him. This is a beautiful picture of what God has always seeked to do to bring us back into relationship. So Jesus then goes to Jairus' house where uh, Jairus' daughter now lies dead. The crowd was saying Jesus doesn't need to come anymore. All the crowds, the unbelieving crowds. Jesus simply says to believe, to trust. He drives these unbelievers away. Only takes the parents and the three uh, disciples the ones who were beginning to show this trust and faith um, that, that is required. Remember, what, what do we do, need to do to do God's work to, to, to believe? These people were doing God's work. They were believing. They were believing that Jesus could do something that only God could do. And they then get to see the miracle firsthand. Of course, the girl lives. So like the parables we covered last week, these four accounts show different responses to Jesus. Are you going to be a believer or are you going to be an unbeliever? Are you going to be a disciple or are you going to be part of the crowd? Jesus' revelation demands that we decide. And, and, and can I just put this forward? Very, it's very important for us to realize that we're not just committing with our minds. Like, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus is God. But remember that uh, believing being fully alive, being fully aware, a part of that is to exercise a response. How we live truly shows whether we are committed to Jesus or not. Can I just pray for you? Perhaps over the last few weeks, uh, there's been this stirring in you that you want to really truly commit to Jesus. That is an amazing step that you want to take. And, and maybe for you as well, maybe you have invited Jesus into your life, but you've found that your commitment to Him goes up and down, and all of us do. But maybe in this moment, you feel God's hand upon your life and saying, come closer, let's go deeper, and let's, let's see how God brings life, um, His life, into yours. I would love you to say this prayer with me as we close this session. Dear Jesus, I want to invite you fully into my life. I don't want to do this half in, half out type Christianity. I want to be all in. I want to believe, whether in the storm or in the face of death, that you bring life and life to the fullness. So I invite you into my life. I invite you in, God. Make me whole. Forgive me of my sins. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer and you are starting off your journey with Jesus, we've got a little tool for you. It's 30 daily texts that we will send to you. There's a screen coming up just uh, right after this message that allows you to give us a text saying that you want to sign up for this and we'll start sending the text out to you tomorrow. So thanks so much for being a part of this week's session. Get into your lift groups and I hope that this really greatly enriches your understanding and revelation 
of Jesus. Mm-hmm.